Welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. Hi, and welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, a series that makes sense of use cases across industries brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. And today we're talking about new technology from Intel that is enabling better outcomes for both mother and baby when it comes to labor and delivery. I'm very excited to bring our guest on today. So Karen Perry, she is Chief Healthcare IoT Solution of Architect from Intel, and Kelly Parker, who is nurse practitioner, and they happen to be twin sisters. If you didn't figure it out already, by the likeness, you will hear their voices. They sound almost identical there as well. So thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. Thank you, Michelle. So Karen is the Chief Healthcare IoT Solution Architect at Intel, 30 plus years of experience, offers a unique blend of healthcare, safety, security, and Internet of Things cross-industry skills. Karen holds a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science, graduating summa cum laude from the University of California, Irvine. And Kelly graduated from the Brigham Young University School of Nursing with a master's degree has been an RN since 1992, and is now a practicing nurse practitioner specializing in women's health since 2002. Kelly's a board-certified advanced practice registered nurse certified in family practice, and we have a lot to get to today. First of all, I'm so excited that both of you are joining us, and I didn't know what to expect in seeing you. They're definitely there's no doubt about it that you're twin sisters. <laughs> so I'm really excited to get into this. So let's start with Kelly. In your experience working in labor and delivery, NICU, ER, ICUs as a nurse and house supervisor, what are some of the challenges new parents face during their hospital experience? So can you talk about that? Yes, Michelle, it has, it's put an emphasis on the shortage we have of personnel that we can actually give the patients optimal care. Um, in labor and delivery, it's kind of a unique circumstance. Because unlike other parts of the hospital where if you were going onto a medical surgical floor or into the emergency room and you come in with a problem, a medical problem, blame delivery is considered um, a natural process. And yet in, in our day and age, we like to give everybody every medical advantage we have to have a better outcome. And so as um, people are coming into labor delivery to deliver with their significant other, their family members, they want an experience that's personal to them and and for some private, but at the same time, we want to be able to provide them with um, everything we can to have medical services that close to them. And some of the difficulties we find is as we try to provide them with privacy and, and uh, singular um, experiences that they desire, that we it, it doesn't allow us to monitor patients, the mother and the baby, like we would like to. Um, and then there's circumstances where women will come into the emergency room and the emergency room doesn't really know what to do with them. Maybe they're not ready to deliver, but we have to, they have to differentiate between a medical problem and a uh, obstetric problem. And sometimes I'm up in labor and delivery and, and they're calling me with this. And if I had a way to actually see or talk to the patient, um, you know, I've seen circumstances where a patient was about 35 weeks and she went to the emergency room and be, because she was only 35 weeks, they thought she's not in labor, it's a gallbladder problem, but we need to monitor the baby. And they shipped her up to, to labor and delivery 
And I was house supervising at the time. So I'd already been in the emergency room. I knew they were busy. Life and delivery was busy, but this patient kind of got tucked in a room and they thought, well, she's not having a baby. So labor and delivery wasn't on high alert. And the patient ended up having a condition called HELP syndrome that was really compromising her liver. And we lost the baby because we just didn't have the manpower to monitor it. And so there's some circumstances, that's extreme, but there's some where we feel like we could have a much better outcome. I mean, to have something like that in a hospital, we need to recognize the importance of obstetric care and making sure that we're recognizing everything, but at the same time, giving these patients the experience they need. I mean, we want great outcomes. And uh, currently there's, as you know, a shortage of people to be able to provide that. Well, Karen, I mean, it's it's heartbreaking what Kelly just shared. And as she said, an extreme case, but any case where it's not as ideal as you would like or hope it to be for both mother and baby is, is just, it's it's so unfortunate and, and so tragic. So talk to us about the, the exciting part is that we can make things better and there is technology out there that can help with cases like, you know, Kelly just told us. Talk to us about that. So there's uh, technologies out now that allow for remote patient monitoring um, and not just monitoring the patient with cameras, but also uh, the ability to do two-way audio video um, with the patient or with other care providers with the patient. So in the case, uh, the example that Kelly gave, if one of these mobile audio video, two-way audio video patient monitoring Uh, solutions had been in the ER, they could have remotely brought Kelly into uh, the patient session in the ER, and she could have done remote triage with the ER docs and been able to advise them to say, hey, you know, this this could be a very serious situation. Um, We need to bring her into labor delivery or maybe even the ICU. I mean, depending on the severity of the situation, but as an expert, she can remote triage or other experts could remote triage into the the emergency department and room and and help out with um, with the care of the patient, especially for you know high acuity situations like that, and uh, and so you know being able to leverage some of this new remote um, patient monitoring uh, to have that instant two way uh, conversation and triage, uh, I think maybe would have created a much better outcome for that situation. While women are laboring there's different situations involved. Some of them um, prefer to have an epidural, which doesn't allow them to be mobile. And others prefer to do, try to do more of a natural delivery. And we're remotely monitoring. We have um, devices that will remotely monitor both the baby's heart rate and her contraction pattern. And it allows her to walk around. And there's sometimes where she's walking all over the floor and I'm not sure where she is. And I might run to her room and think, what happened to Susie? I can't find Susie. So there's some other remote things that we don't have available now that I, if there is a way that I could speak to her through the remote monitoring she has or, or, and just say, Hey, Susie, where are you? I need to see. There's other examples where uh, patients get quite creative on how they think their baby should be born. And, and I was, we were watching, we have monitors from the desk that we can see the baby's heart rate. And I was noticing things looked off. So I went into a room and the mother, laboring mother, was standing on top of the bed with her husband behind her, and they're both heaving and supporting, and she's she's limping his arms, and I'm but we're five foot nothing, and I was chest level to the bed, going, "What are you doing? What are you doing? You got to get down." And she was, "No, like she's more comfortable up here, but but I can't help you. I can't reach you. I can't, <laughs> you know, 
I probably would have nipped that in the bud had I had some way to look in the room and say, okay, Susie and Chuck, that's not going to work. I mean, we, you have to do, and there's several others where, you know, people will do things that just, just aren't really safe or women will, they'll bear, they'll have their babies. And then we're in another kind of critical situation where, you know, at home in the 1800s, you got your baby, you had it in your chest, you hoped it was breathing and you moved on. And now it's essential that baby's breathing. I mean, we don't want it nursing. And there's circumstances where we think everything's okay. Baby's out. Mom seems okay. Dad's there. And then she thinks she wants to go to the bathroom and she's not ready for that. And she thinks my husband's here. And I don't know if you've been around new fathers, but they're not the most functional in some of these situations. So between having the baby and trying to get his wife who suddenly passes out because she has a low blood pressure at the post epidural, I want to, you know, they can't get to the call light. There's things up to the bed. Wouldn't it be great if I could peek in the room or have something that would alert me at the desk or on my phone to say, something's not right in Susie's room. I mean, she needs some help. Or that he could shout out and maybe initiate an audio uh, warning type thing that he could contact somebody right away. I mean, we could be here all day, Michelle. I could tell you instances like that, that would really, in some outcomes, have a bad, I've caught babies right before they hit the toilet because the mom thought she had to go to the bathroom and it was more. It would be so, and, and it, that all came out okay. We were quick on our feet, but there's been times when I'm sure that isn't the case. And just being able to have eyes on the situation would be a huge help when we can't literally have a medical professional in every room all the time. And that patients don't necessarily want that. We live in a world where we're monitoring babies 24-7 at home with their little nursery comms. And I think people are more open to knowing that somebody has eyes on their child or their wife or the home security you have. And that hopefully we can implement some of those things in hospitals. And Karen, do you want to to touch on that? You know, with regard to the impact, you know, we talked about serious cases. We talked about, you know, maybe not as urgent cases, but really just the the blanket of impact that it really can have on so many different services that you have when it comes to just labor and delivery. Yeah, absolutely. In some of the cases that Kelly described, where, where risk mitigation is required. Yes, um, that's what we call it. Yes, yes. <laughs> we definitely... One of the, th- the other things is not just the ability to see what's going on, but to have computer vision and AI examine what's going on and alert Kelly, you know, and other practitioners about what's happening. So we could, what, what's happening now is that we're working on algorithms to, to detect motion of the patient. Also to know, you know, what's a normal motion and or and what's an abnormal motion, like standing on the bed with your husband. We would detect that <laughs> as abnormal alert Kelly on her PDA, on her digital assistant, or at the nursing station and say, Susie in room 10 is Chuck, you know, something's going not normal. Not their real names. We're just providing decision support. We're not diagnosing the problem, but we mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. want, you know, to alert. Uh, the the nurses on staff to say, you need to go in there right now before something happens. So there's all kinds of things that we can do with AI now to examine video, also to do natural language processing, as Kelly brought up, to, to hear like the volume going up if people are getting excited or scared of voices. This isn't where there's no storage of the data or anything like that. So it, th- there's not a privacy there. We're not trying to store and say, oh, someone said this. We're looking for indicators of you know, aggression, panic, 
um, or, or a command, like, please come help us because we can't reach a button. And in normal mm -hmm. tech, now we're constantly saying, hey, Siri, hey, Google, do this, do that. We need to elevate some of the patient rooms to be able to give them that kind of interaction as well. So they can give verbal yeah. commands and ask for help. Um, and especially if they've fallen, you know, shoot, there's life alerts for old people. Help our fallen. Help, I can't give me up. My gosh, why aren't those in with hospitals? <laughs> yeah. We can do that. Yeah. And it's just getting those technologies in a place where they also make sense in clinical workflows, which is why Intel works, myself and others, we work with clinicians like Kel to figure out, you know, well, how do you work? How often are you examining a patient for conditions? What if we did it for you and you had an on-demand alert, an on-demand video, you know, we can bring up your tablet and see what's going on because we're alerting you that you might want to take a look. She might be across the floor, you know, across the hospital, but she can look and see and alert someone. So using a the video, two-way audio and the AI part of, you know, natural language processing and examining the video for anomalies that Kelly would see if she could walk in the, or sit there 24-7, which she cannot. Um, those are the kind of things we'd like to do to enhance, you know, help with the nursing, you know, shortage. There's just not enough, Kelly's on the floor, um, as well as, you know, try to mitigate issues, you know, patient falls, you know, other issues. It really is amazing when you talk about the technology and artificial artificial intelligence being used. As you said, we we have medical alerts for the elderly, like the the amount of technology that can still be put into hospitals and just make things so much easier for everybody. It's it's amazing to think about. So based on the needs that no doubt will continue to grow. Where do you see things going in the future? Maybe with the biggest needs to be met, Kelly, and then Karen with solutions that hopefully can meet those needs. Well, um, I, I have several colleagues or friends that I used to work with that are still currently working in the hospital and on floors. And there's been, um, there's new designs in hospital flow when it comes to late delivery. It's called an LDRP where they'll create a larger room that a woman would labor, deliver, recover, and then have her postpartum time. So she's, they're able to keep her in one room. It's for patient comfort. It's larger, has facilities for a, a significant other to, to stay with the mother overnight. The baby's there the whole time. And, and the, they have a private bathroom. There's lots of benefits to it as far as in an optimal setting where everything went well. But if something doesn't go well, it's um, one of the things they're trying to do is get mothers to be with the babies more because once again, we don't have a lot of staff to have babies. Traditionally, we take babies to the nursery at night and a mother usually could still request that if she's not feeling well or she's a post C-section or something like that. But it would be nice to have some way to visualize the room without impacting privacy, which as I mentioned before, I think people are, are more cognizant to the benefits of having visualization. They do it on baby monitors and, and their front door. That it's kind of nice to see. It's nice to have other eyes that could see that something's wrong. That we could see, even in the postpartum setting, the mother's asleep, the baby's in the room. She's sleeping for four hours straight. It takes five minutes for a baby to choke. I mean, it, you know, and lose that we could actually see that something's off. And as Karen mentioned, what would just be vital for us is to be able to have AI that could detect an, an abnormality. I think in latent delivery, when we're dealing with the mother, it's great. But when we're the, after the baby's there, and now we're in a situation where acuity level, we measure patient's needs on an acuity, 
that after a baby's born, and if we've determined it seems healthy, that the mother should be able to have the baby for four or five hours at a time without necessarily having a medical professional check on the baby. But that's not always the case. And so um, if we were able to see or have a constant monitoring system that would alert, alert us to a possible um, interruption in the baby's breathing, how the mother is, that would just be vital. Because I think a lot of parents feel some, um, uh, they're a little timid about taking care of their own child, especially when it's their first, all by themselves. Yeah, they're in a hospital, but it's just not the same as, as having somebody there for some of them. Some will love the privacy, but some don't realize something's all wrong. Um, I've gone in when a mother's nursing and the baby's looking a little too gray for comfort. And she kind of thinks it's asleep and it's not asleep. It's just had, it's struggling to breathe. So those are times when we would, it'd be nice if we had a way for that patient could, if she recognizes that, to actually shout out and not be looking for a call button. And, and to my knowledge, we don't have that. These friends of mine that work in the NICUs say, we don't, they don't have any kind of camera in the NICU. And this one was recently built and they have these amazing single rooms where a parent can stay with their baby that's in ICU. But they, they she, I said, surely you have a camera on the ceiling or something. You can see that baby. She goes, no, we don't. So I have to go into individual rooms now to make sure this baby's okay. So it gave, it, it satisfied the privacy for parents to be able to stay with their baby, but it inhibited nurse. And now we have need more bodies. And as you know, between COVID and, and nursing shortages, and trying to train people quickly enough to that acuity of care for patients, especially in the NICU, it's difficult to find people that are ready for that right away. So anything technology that would be available for us would be vital to keep giving good patient care. And Karen's here to tell you about the good news coming, right? There you go. <laughs> good news. She'd be the perfect team here, huh? I'll give her technology needs you quick in a mile. What if I could do this? Well, you can. We need to build our own hospital, huh, Karen? No kidding. no kidding, especially that last NICU. I mean, babies don't care about privacy. It's the NICU. I mean, that's just a little bit, that's, I'm shocked that, a, you know, a state-of-the-art NICU wouldn't have cameras and audio. But one of the other things back on, on um, the situation with the parents being in the room with the baby, um, one of the things we would add, not just, to, not just cameras and uh, and computer vision to, to, to watch what's happening and, and audio, natural language processing to, to hear, you know, baby's breathing patterns and things. We can actually put the sensors right where the baby is in, instead of where the parents are. So the parents have more privacy, but we have eyes on the baby. So the poor parents can sleep <laughs> and we have eyes on the baby. But we also will take um, what's some, we're we're calling it scene intelligence. Um, Intel has a, has a framework. There's some other big partners that are thinking about this, but it's literally having situational awareness of everything happening in the room. And that situational awareness is not just eyes, cameras, or audio, uh, but it's also the monitors. You know, it's taking the patient, the data from the, the monitors on the baby, the monitors on the mother, um, and, and bringing those together with the eyes, the kind of assessment Kelly would do for with her clinical knowledge, we can train the AI to look for, you know, if the, if the pulse rate is this and respiratory rate is this and visually, you know, are they gray? Are they pink? Are they, you know, we can program all that in to check for the same kind of patient protocol assessments that Kelly would use. Uh, very similar, use exactly the same time kind of criteria to alert that something's gone gone wrong. And when it comes to this situation with mothers and babies, when 
you know, a very traumatic thing has just happened. Hopefully everything will be okay, but things can happen in an instant. Um, and if there are constant monitoring of vital signs, visual, audio monitoring, and AI happening to check for thresholds that Kelly would check when she was doing assessments, uh, I just think that the outcomes would be much, much better with we, we always need more nurses. We're not trying to eliminate nurses by any stretch. We want them to operate at the highest level of their license all, at all times, poking your head in every 15 minutes. We don't need her to do that. We have technology for that. Um, and so even just having sitters, there's telesitters now that will sit in front of a bank of nine, 16 patient rooms and try to watch with the cameras, which is better than, you know, having Kelly go in, but they're human error. There's, they might miss something that's happening in the room. So adding the AI even to those situations to detect motion and highlight that frame of that patient room, tell us it or look up, look at this room. This person's getting up and they shouldn't be because they were coming out of anesthesia or they shouldn't be because they should be, you know, sleeping or they're standing on the bed. Uh, you know, you know Red, yeah. red line, you know, this guy. look at this person. Um, so those are the kind of things that, you know, just adding multi, what we call multi-sensor fusion of multiple sensors to patient data, cameras, audio, and helping try to create that situational awareness that Kelly would have and report it to them as quickly as possible. It just would optimize the skilled nursing resources uh, and I think improve the patient outcomes. So those are the kind of things we'd like to introduce we're starting to introduce into hospitals there's still work to be done but um i think uh with the cooperation of um of skilled nursing and and doctors and else who want who are willing to try this this is the other thing is be willing to try um this new technology and you'll see a measure and you'll have a measurable difference so the adoption will happen Uh, those are the things we're working on now i as medical professionals we're not we're not aware of the technology that's out there, you know? So, I mean, IHC is a wonderful organization. You don't think about that. You don't realize that that's even something that's possible. And then when I discuss these things with Karen and she says, geez, you know, we have, we have things like that. And as you said, Michelle, we're not reinventing the wheel. We have monitoring devices inexpensively that we use for the elderly and for babies. And there's things that because of, I think, HIPAA violations and privacy and, and, secure systems so people can't um, hack into hospital systems, that there's much more of things Karen is, um, groups are capable of to secure, make sure hospitals are secure in those kind of monitoring systems, but still allow us to have the, um, the technology to be able to provide better care and be eyes everywhere, be more places than we can typically be. Yeah. And Karen, you said, I mean, we will always have a need for nurses, obviously, but with nursing shortages and just with the stress level that I can only imagine that would come from being a nurse, how that would be reduced because you're able to be more functioning when you're working long shifts because of shortages. It's just an all around a win-win situation, of course, for your patient. You obviously want the utmost care for them, but then the, the quality of of lowering stress levels for the actual nurses and the the staff there. So really amazing stuff and exciting to hear that so many advancements have been made and that there are more on the horizon that are coming to help Kelly and to help other nurses who obviously have so much on the line when they're trying to do whatever they can to the utmost ability, but sometimes they're hindered by only being one person. And as you said, Karen, not being able to be in every room at the same time. So Love what we talked about today. 
Before I close things out, let me ask you, is there anything that you would like to add as final notes or or anything added that we haven't covered here today? Well, I'm excited. Uh, Karen has told me about these different things. And I said, geez, I want to see that in action. I want to see what that looks like. I know audio alone. I mean, if a patient could be able to contact me on my phone and I could maybe even just access it like I access my front door to see if a pack, my Amazon package arrived that I could just queue up on a, on a mobile device that would be secure to a hospital. I mean, I just, the possibilities are endless and I'm really excited for Intel and other companies that are um, collaborating with them to be able to provide these services and hopefully hospitals being open to uh, implementing them. We can just detect the motion from a video and, and be able to say if they're sitting up or standing, but you can't see who it is. Um, there's all kinds of face fuzzing and other things that can be done on the fly. So you don't can't see who it is. But with the contextual awareness of Kelly would know that Susie's in room 10, <laughs> that it doesn't have to, she doesn't have to see Susie's face. She just sees Susie starting to get out of the bed by herself. And, or we, we see in the camera, you know, with the AI that they're getting out of the bed. But there's also, you know, we've had hospitals that, you know, the patient will opt in because to the point of an exhausted new mom and dad who would like to have a camera on their baby. They're like, I'm in, where, where do I yeah. sign? Because I want to sleep and think and know that there's other technology that's looking at over my baby. If we introduce that concept of having um, observational equipment and ability in a labor delivery room and make the parallel that all of you are asking for that outlet and those different security cameras and baby cams in your, in your house, that you want to be able to see your baby too, you know, think of the advantage we'd have so that you can rest and rest knowing somebody's watching your baby. I think that there'll be a, um, that there'll be an understanding for patients to realize, oh yeah, this, this is going to be a benefit to me. I'm going to be able to enjoy my experience and having my child with my family and with the mother, but also know that we're safe because, you know, that it's a vulnerable population and they need to have all the medical care we can give them, but still respect that process. As as you said, Kelly, it, it's it's exciting to to know that these things are possible, and and I think that's the most exciting part for you as you're you're sharing these stories. How it can be better, and for you, Karen, knowing that you know you're directly connected with your sister, being in you know on the the front lines of this, how much of an impact it can make. So let me ask you this: from a contact standpoint, if people have questions out there, which as I said, we we've, we've talked a lot about some amazing, exciting things. Where do they reach out? Where do they find more information about what we're talking about today? Well, uh, on Intel, Intel actually has a, a, a smart hospital uh, landing site now. So if you Google Intel smart hospital, you'll be directed, you'll see a link to that landing site. Um, there's some new uh, briefs that are there, both a, you know, a business level brief. So hospitals and clinicians can look and see uh, what, how we're thinking about a hospital and the different areas of the hospital and how we can connect some of these, you know, data silos in a hospital into a more situational awareness and, you know, an event-driven alerting system for clinicians. And there's also a technical brief for those, the CIOs and CTOs of hospitals to understand really what that might mean for them to adopt the technology. So um, there's some good information there. Uh, right there on the Intel site on smart hospitals that they can access and see more and how to how to learn more about it. 
our great conversation today. I want to thank both of our guests, Karen Perry. She is the Chief Healthcare IoT Solution Architect from Intel, and then Kelly Parker, Nurse Practitioner. It was lovely to have both there of you, you on and really enjoy this conversation. And I want to thank our audience for tuning in to the Health and Life Sciences at the Edge podcast that makes sense of use cases across industries brought to you by the Intel IoT Group. Don't forget to subscribe to hear more of the podcast. We'll see you soon.